Well, good morning. Man, it's good to see you all. You know, in our society today, in our world today, it can be hard, it can be difficult to tell what's real and what's genuine and what is not. I mean, I mean seriously, are my chicken nuggets actually chicken? I mean, it's, it's a question that, that, that bears asking. But, but that, that's obviously a silly thing, but, but let's, let's, really, let's really get down to, to what, what's important. It is hard for people to tell what's real and what's not real. In 2018, Forbes magazine reported that counterfeiting was the largest criminal enterprise in the world and that, that creating counterfeit the, the market for that was $1.7 trillion at that time, a year, annually. So, so this idea of counterfeit, I mean, people are, are, are making a lot of money off, off what isn't really real. And throughout the, the month of March, and, and we're going to, I'm looking forward to getting to Easter because, man, we're going to talk about the real Jesus on Easter. And, and I think we're probably even going to go beyond Easter just a little bit with this series. We're going to be talking about the real Jesus because I want us as a a church family, I want us to to understand and know what we mean when we talk about Jesus. Who and what are we really talking about? Uh, I want people that are a part of church online in our first service, that's 930. I want them to understand wherever they are, uh, they can hear that message of, of what is, who is the real, the authentic Jesus. And I want us to understand that that who he is makes a difference. And I want the world to be able to, to tell what that difference really is. I want you to look at Matthew chapter 24, verse 5, because here's what Jesus tells us. Jesus tells us, for many will come in my name. People are going to say that they are coming in Jesus' name. And here's what they're going to say. They're going to claim, I am the Messiah and will deceive many. So there's going to be many who claim to be the real Jesus. In fact, right now, there are a number of people around the world who claim to be the real Jesus. They claim right now to be the Messiah. And you think, man, that's got to be crazy. You know, I've never been to Israel, but I've been told by someone who's been there many times that there are actually billboards around the city of Jerusalem that say, Messiah, reveal yourself now. They're looking for the Messiah. They're looking. They're looking for the Son of God. Well, you and I, as we read the word of God, we realize what it says about who Jesus is. But you know, it's not just that there's people in the, in the world that are claiming to be Jesus. Look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He said, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. So here we have, we have Satan trying to show himself as coming from God. 
We have Satan, who is the father of lies, who's lying about who he really is. And we have people that are around the world that are talking about being the Messiah. It's no wonder that there's so much confusion. And I hope that over the next four, five, six weeks that we're able to clear up a lot of that confusion. And I want to start by looking at John chapter 1 because these verses are really foundational for us in looking at and discovering who Jesus really is. Look at what it says there in the beginning of John. John the Apostle says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now before I go any farther... That word there, the word word, that's like using the word that twice in a row. The word word, the, at, that means logos, L-O-G-O-S. And, and the Bible is the written version of the word of God. It's the logos. But Jesus is the living version of the word of God, L-O-G-O-S. They, they are the exact same word. So he's talking about here, Jesus, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. This morning what I would like to do is talk to you about three claims that the Scripture makes about the real Jesus. And in fact, if, if someone were to say, no, that's not the real Jesus, I'm gonna, I'll show you the real Jesus, as long as they use these, these same claims that Scripture makes and that, that would be fulfilled, we would have to say, well, okay, that, but it's got to meet these requirements. So these claims that the Scripture makes are fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. So let's look at them. Number one, the first claim is this, that Jesus is God. You ever wonder how many gods there are in the world today? There's a there, there's a book that was uh, that was printed in 1993 called the Encyclopedia of the Gods. What a, a what a work that would be! 2,500 gods that that encyclopedia claims exist in the world today. But how do we determine which of those are really real? And they, they all um, are taught in some form or another that those are the real gods. But how do we know? And when we talk about Jesus, how does someone know that Jesus is the real God? How do we determine which gods are real? And do, does each religion really represent just another form of the real God? Or, or, um, or is it another way ultimately to get to God? Religious pluralism would tell us that there are many ways that we can ultimately get to God, many ways that will lead us to God. I remember back in the mid-90s, I was living in a, in a suburb of Milwaukee, and I had to do a hospital visit, and I, I go to the hospital, and after I'm done with my visit, I get off the elevator, and I see my grandfather's wife. And she was not my, my biological grandmother, and I didn't call her grandma, um, but, but 
I, I saw her and I, I said hi to her and she said hi to me and she said, you know, your grandpa would love to see you right now. In fact, he's waiting for me to get off work. He's in the car right now. Let me go get him and he can come in. You guys can chat. And so he came in and, and we sat in the waiting room in the hospital and, and we just had a chat and, and uh, someone in his wife's family was dying of cancer. And so she, they had a lot of questions about heaven and things like that. And my grandfather said, you know, in John chapter 14, it talks about many mansions or many rooms. Isn't that really, he said, isn't that really just that there are many ways to get to God? Many ways that lead to God. As we look at the scripture and what the scripture says, we learn that there are not many ways to get to God. There is one way to get to God. And that way is known as Jesus Christ. Look at what John says. He says that Jesus is not only the way to God, but Jesus was God. When we look at what that means, it means that, that there, is this, um, there is a distinction of persons. Because when we think Jesus and God, we think two different people or two different entities. But there are some that would say, no, there's just one entity. But, but when you look at and you study it, what it means is that these are three distinct persons. They are three distinct individuals, but yet there is a oneness between them that says that the three are one. Jesus himself in Matthew 28, when he tells us to go into all the world and preach the gospel, we are to baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Those are the three distinct parts of what we call the Trinity or the Godhead. In Matthew, or excuse me, John chapter 1, verse 14, it says that the word, meaning Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the Bible tells us that Jesus existed from the time uh, 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 since before the time of creation and eternity passed, that Jesus, the Son of God, put on flesh, that he came and was born as a man, that he laid aside the power of his deity to live among us. Paul says in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. So there is no doubt that the scripture declares explicitly that Jesus is God. There is no doubt. If you have to wonder, is he just a teacher? Is he just a prophet? Is he just a really nice guy? He's more than that. He is God. And the scripture claims that without a doubt. And you say, well, what does that require of me personally? Well, we really have, have a couple of options the first option is that we can accept the truth of who he is. We can believe that or we can reject it as untruth. By faith, we can accept Jesus' claim to be God and the Bible's claim that he is God or we can reject it. 
But the problem really lies here is that if we reject that Christ is God, then there is no way for us to follow in the way of Christianity. There's no way for us to follow God. There is no way for us to to follow Christianity and say, yep, I believe this, but I don't believe that. So if we do not believe that Jesus is God, then we are unable to follow what the Bible ultimately tells us. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, Paul says this, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord or Jesus is God, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It is by faith that we believe and we accept Jesus as God. Secondly, the Bible claims that Jesus is the creator. He is the creator. You know, many religions claim to possess the truth about creation. Let me just share a couple of those with you. There are Chinese religions that believe that there was a great cosmic egg within the timeless void of the universe, and that's where creation ultimately came from. The Aztecs believe that the earth was created by a god who wore a skirt of snakes, okay? Um, I don't understand totally what that means, but that's what the Aztecs believe. The Babylonians believed that there was a great battle between two gods, and one god killed the other god and literally opened up the body of that other god and that the universe was created out of the remains of the loser of that battle. That's kind of interesting. The Egyptians believe uh, that the god Atum willed himself into being and therefore was able to create the universe. The Persian uh, beliefs are that creation sprouted, and I want you to get this, okay, because this is theologically very deep, okay? The, they believe that um, God, that the earth was created from a giant rhubarb. You can't make it up, friends, you know, um, but that's, that's what Persian gods believe. Now, most of us, we, we, we <laughs> especially here in Marquette, we're Norse people, you know Sorry for spitting. Um, we're Norse people. We're, we're, we're like, we're just from the North. And, and people who are Germanic and, and Norse, you know, those people, that, that history, um, they, they believe that the earth was created from the corpse of a giant. I didn't get any of that DNA um, from that, that giant. That, so I'm, I can't obviously hold to that form of creation. But there's scientific theories. Uh, we, know, we know one called the Big Bang Theory that's uh, very popular. The problem is that, that if you have a bang, there has to be something to, to blow up in order to be able to align all of those things magically into some form of creation. So that's been added to by these, these, uh, these pods, these cosmic pods that have been floating through the universe and they finally showed up here in, in, in all together in our universe. And so then when the Big Bang happened, that really provided the creative juice, the creative material for something to really come together. 
Um, there's the oscillating universe theory. There's the, uh, there's the steady state universe. That sounds like a car battery to me, but it's, it's the steady state universe, the eternal inflation um, uh, creation theory. There's all of these different theories of creation, all of these different, uh, even, even from uh, religious perspectives. But that, that doesn't necessarily help us because the Bible leaves no doubt that Jesus is the creator. Paul says in Colossians 1.16, for in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So what does this ultimately mean to you and to me? If we believe that Jesus is the creator of all things, what, what impact does that have on our lives in Psalms 139, verse 13, the psalmist says, For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. And then in verse 16, he says, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So if Jesus created the universe. If Jesus is the creator responsible for all things seen and unseen, that has to mean something. And what it means is that he created you. As you look at yourself in the mirror, and, and I'm sure that you do what I do, and, and you know, you try to make it look as, as good as you can, you know? I mean, the, my wife it always worked. She's like, it takes you so long in the bathroom. I said, honey, this just doesn't walk out by itself. It needs a lot of help to get to this point. You know what I'm saying? You look at yourself in the mirror and, and you, you know, you maybe you wonder, you know, sometimes as I, you know, I, I look at myself and I see my dad, you know, and I'm like, man, there could be no denying that I am my dad's son. But God created me. As you look at yourself in the mirror, God created you. And, and not, he didn't just wind up the universe and let it go. You're just not, not one of potentially millions that your parents could have given birth to. Jesus created you. He chose you. And you came into this world as a result of his creation. You're, you were created in the image, in the likeness of God. You were created with, with intention. God has a purpose for you. You were created in a, in a way that was not just random, but God's, God's purpose, his design for your life. Literally all your days have been written in his book before you lived even one of them. God knew that you would be where you are today. He's your creator. 
In fact, God knows you so well that God knows what's best for your life. That's something that we love to say as parents, you know? And our kids ask us, hey, can we go over to our buddy's house and do this, you know, and do that and, and be unsupervised? And we say, no, you can't do that. Why not? And they question our authority. What do we say? I'm your parent. I know what's best, Right? God literally knows what's best for us, not just because he brought us into being, but he formed us. He created us in the image and the likeness of God. He, all our days are written in his book before we have lived even one of them. And thirdly, Jesus is the sustainer. You say, what do we mean when we say that? Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, it says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. You know, I, 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 wear, I wear an Apple watch. Um, actually, I woke up in the hospital three years ago and had one just magically that my family bought and said, we want to make sure that we can tell how many beats a minute your heart is beating, you know, for the rest of your life. Um, and, and so I don't wear the old school watch, but when I was a kid, the first watch that I ever wore was a Timex watch. And I'm so old that you used to have to um, actually wind it up. Do you remember that? I mean, a wind up watch, can you imagine it? Those, you know, a, 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 a really sophisticated timepiece that, that was, you know, would be made by a master watchmaker, um, wouldn't, it wouldn't look like my watch. And it would have somewhere between 130 and 200 parts in it. And the most important part in that watch is called the main spring. And without that main spring, that watch is just going to sit there and look nice. I mean, you could have it engraved, you know. You, let's say it's a pocket watch that, you know, you got from your grandpa or something. You could, you could have it engraved. It would look nice, you know. It'll be right twice a day. But that's it. It's not going to actually work. It's not going to function. Because that main spring is what is required in order for that watch to work. It's the most essential component in that watch. And you and I, we are like, we're like a watch. And we've been created by the master watchmaker. He created us, and, and we're intricate. Man, there's lots of little parts in us that are, that are just in, intricate and, 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 and hard, hard to, to, to maybe put together, but, but he's put them all together. But he didn't stop there. You see, Jesus not only created you, but Jesus is an essential part. He's the main spring. And that mainspring is what makes it all work together. I've heard it said that each of us are, are created with a God-sized hole in our heart. 
What I would say is we're created like a watch, only that main spring is not there. We have to, we have to invite it to be there. And without that main spring, things just don't work the right way. God is our creator. Jesus is our creator. He's the one that holds it all together. Colossians chapter 1 verse 17, it says, He is before all things and in him all things hold together. We've been made by this master watchmaker. But we can deny that the watchmaker doesn't exist. You don't have to believe in the watchmaker. It doesn't change the fact that the watch is there. The watch is still there. You can deny that he exists. The problem is you, you just can't replace the main spring without the creator, without the watchmaker. You see, it's the watchmaker that fits as that main spring right in that, that spot for that main spring. And that's what will bring life. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. When you drop the mainspring into that watch and you wind it up, that watch comes to life. What did we do when we were little kids? When we sat on our parents' lap or our grandparents' lap, we took that watch and put it up to our ear and we could hear the ticking. Why? Because it's like that watch was alive. That's who Jesus is for you and I. He is God. And he created you with a plan, with a purpose. But he's also the sustainer of life. He's the one that's given you that purpose. And he brings it to life when we invite him into our heart.